as has been mentioned, we're moving into a series in First Corinthians. I might just pray for us, uh, and then we'll dive into this. Eh? Um, Jesus, would you be speaking to us today? Uh, we pray as we as we step into this book um, that you would lead us into a deeper relationship with you, that you would lead us to be changed by the power of the cross, that you would lead us to be a people who are increasingly shaped by the good news of our Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians 1. If you've got a Bible, flick it open. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, but first, I want to ask you a dangerous question. I want to ask you to use your imagination for a sec. Um, imagine, if you will, a place where the rich get rich and the poor get poorer. Um, where, where a few people become more and more wealthy um, and, and you know, there's opportunity for wealth and lots of people attracted to wealth and yet the number of the poor grows exponentially and the number of the rich does not seem to match it. Um, imagine a, a pluralistic place, a place where the anthem is that you can believe what you want to believe and live as you want to live with the one main rule being that you may not affirm that there is only one God and one right way. You must be ready to affirm, even to participate in other people's truths. Imagine, uh, imagine a place um, and a culture where... where I'm going to keep talking and Josie's going to move her hand away from the desk. Okay. <laughs> imagine a morally and especially um, sexually open culture when everything was o where everything was okay. And again, the, the only thing not allowed is to say that some things are not permitted. Uh, imagine a place and a time and a culture where the church at large seems to be doing all that it can to compromise and to reflect the shape of the surrounding culture in, in all of its brokenness and depravity. Now... Let's be honest, we don't have to use our imaginations that much, do we? Welcome to 2022. Right. This, this is Australia, this is the Western world right now, right? In particular, the world at large, but probably especially the Western world. But actually, everything I've described just now describes to a T, not just us, but the city of Corinth in around the year 55 AD, when this, this letter was written. Uh, a city that became so synonymous in the ancient world with promiscuity that a prominent ancient philosopher coined the term Corinthiazo. Now, literally in Greek, that means to be like a Corinthian. And in the language of the day, everyone understood that meant to be loose, if you know what I'm talking about. It's a city which was so heavily attached to a love for wealth, a love for fame, and a love for that looseness that one commentator has called it the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world all at once. A city which was so heavily attached to a, a love for all these things that, that it, was, it, it reflected what, what our culture is today. Today, um, sorry, I should also say, a city where the church was rife with difficulties as a result of being immersed in that culture and reflecting the world around them more than they were reflecting Jesus to the world around them. 
Today, like I said, we're stepping into a series in 1 Corinthians. And as we step into this letter written to a church that would have related a lot to the issues that we face today within our church and our culture today, I wanted to start by introducing you to this letter as a whole and how we are, um, how we are to approach it today, some 2,000 years later. Uh, and to do that, all, all we're going to do is we're going to start out in these first nine verses of the letter. Um, th- this is the greeting, if you will. Uh, almost every New Testament letter has something like this at the start of it. We often skip the greetings when we read these letters. You kind of shoot through it to get to the content section. Um, it can be a mistake, though, because often the themes of the letter, the major notes of the letter, come out right away in the New Testament letters. They, 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 they make themselves present, uh, apparent. And here's what Paul writes. If you haven't, got, haven't opened a Bible, open a Bible. He says this. He says, I'm reading from verse 2 here. We'll go from verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's one thing in particular in there that I just want to draw your attention to this morning. It's a little junction that happens which really captures the theme of this whole letter. Uh, Paul says... Paul talks about who he's writing to, and he says, to those sanctified in Jesus. Um, Now, sanctified, big word, you can make it sanctification, make it a big word, ends in shun, if you will. Um, But if you boil it down, what it means is, it's, if you're sanctified, you're made holy. What Paul is pointing us to is the new identity that we have in Jesus. That you are made holy when you come to faith in him. This is, if you want the, the fancy theological word for it, positional sanctification is what we call it. It's when, when you come to faith in Jesus, you are declared holy by God. What, what Paul is pointing us to is this identity thing. When you trust in Jesus, you cease to be what you were and you become something new. You become what you are now. A new creation declared by God on the basis of the finished work of Jesus to be holy, set apart for God, smelling of God, if you will, displaying something about God, children of God. This is the new identity that every person who trusts in Jesus has received. And everyone who will trust in Jesus will receive. You are a holy child of the living God. That's that, that the root of who you are now. But that's deeply significant here because uh, he, here's what Paul says. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Now, in English, that might not seem so odd. Um, but uh, in, in the original Greek, if you have a passing knowledge of, of the Greek language, uh, those two words, sanctified and saints, are just the same word as a verb and as a noun. Um, you, could, you could translate it this way. You could say it as, to those made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. Called to, or rather, called to be the holy ones. See what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, you've been made holy. 
You've been given a new identity. You've been made children of the living God and you're called to live out what you are now, who you are now. And that's, that's the theme of this letter as a whole. As Paul writes to these Christians in this deeply worldly place who were so often tempted to compromise, tempted to be like the world around them, confused, uh, confused about what it means to be the people of God, Paul calls them again and again to live out the reality of who they are now. You know, if you're going to boil down the message of 1 Corinthians to, into one sentence, and, and, and we'll keep coming back to this, I, I hope, throughout this series, this is what it would be. It would be the truth about Jesus applies to every situation and so leads us to live out our new identity in Jesus. You know, um, if, if you're one of our regular GCMers here, I just coined that term, it's not very good, you might hear that and you might be like, well, isn't that just Ephesians again? <laughs> like, did anyone have that thought when I said that? Come on, someone had to have. Like, like it's, it's kind of the same, isn't it? Like, like gospel application to life changes us. That, that, that should feel familiar to us by now. Um, didn't we just spend a few months seeing how the letter to Ephesians called us to know the love of Christ, to see that the truth about Jesus is transformative for me in my life today, um, that understanding who I'm in relation to who he is leads to living the new life I've been called into. Does that, does that sound familiar? Hopefully it sounds familiar, because that is Ephesians, that's me just describing our last series. If that doesn't, come talk to me afterwards and I'll just weep later. Uh, and, 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 and the answer is sort of yeah and sort of nah, mostly nah. The general message of Ephesians and the general message of 1 Corinthians is not too dissimilar. Um, they're both kind of making a point that is common in the whole of the New Testament, the whole of the Bible, really. The good news about Jesus changes us. God's word transforms us. But where Ephesians gives us this kind of glorious high view of the gospel and then speaks it generally into our lives in broad terms, 1 Corinthians is messy as. Here's, here's the structure of this book, if you want the structure of this book, okay? Paul introduces himself and, he's, and, and, and he gives thanks for his readers. That's what we're looking at today. And then he spends the entirety of the rest of the book, right up the end of chapter 15, before a little, a little outro at the end, going through 10 serious issues that were facing this church. Not just that were facing this church, that were happening within this church. Serious issues of brokenness, of sin, of confusion, of inequality, of depravity, of false theology going on. Um, Greg Lanier, Greg Lanier is a commentator uh, who's a professor of the New Testament at an excellent seminary, not cemetery, we said that. Put, he puts it like this, and I, I love his words. He says, Compared to, say, Ephesians, which is a pretty straightforward gospel presentation with implications, Romans fits that bill as well. In 1 Corinthians, maybe more so than any other of Paul's letters to churches, you're being parachuted into essentially a dumpster fire. And it's a dumpster fire that is part of a pretty long-standing relationship that Paul has had with this particular church. You're listening in on half of a two-sided conversation, and that makes the context all the more important. And that's, that's something we need to keep in view here as we, as we walk through this later. The context in 1 Corinthians is really important. You can read 90% of 1 
of the letters of the New Testament with no knowledge at all of the original context and still catch the message of them as a whole. Um, even a large amount of this letter you can read without a great deal of the historical context, without the local context, and, and get the message as a whole. But, but because it's so situational... 1 Corinthians is different to most of the rest of the New Testament letters. There are parts of 1 Corinthians you cannot fully understand the message of without understanding the context. So, for instance, we're going to get to a passage where Paul issue, uh, addresses the issue of head coverings. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it today. We'll save it up. I know you're longing for it. But <laughs> he talks about head coverings in church in, in, the, in the latter half of this series. We're going to get to that. And without context... It doesn't even make a particular amount of sense reading that passage. It's very, very difficult to get your head around. Because Paul's addressing a specific issue in a specific place, like he is in this entire letter. He's addressing specific issues in specific place. And so there's a rhythm to the way that this book works that I, I want to make really clear from the start. And if you get something in your head for this series, get this rhythm in your head for this series and watch for it. Okay? This is really important for us to understand as, uh, so that we can apply 1 Corinthians to our lives. This is it. As Paul goes through these 10 issues facing the church, in every section where he addresses an issue, you're going to find three elements. That's what he does. It's not always super neat. He doesn't lay it out in one, two, three format in every one of them. He's going to get, there's a situation, there's a gospel principle or a theological principle, and there's an application. Okay? It's pretty simple, right? Situation, gospel principle, application. And that's, that's important, though, because this is how it's written and this is how we need to understand it. Um, l- let me give you an example. Um, Paul, Paul will give us some of, some of the situation. I'll, I'll pan it out. So, 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 number one, he'll give us some of the situation. Um, here's... Here's the situation I've heard is happening, and here's the the questions that you've asked me, Corinthian Church. Underlying that, there will be all of this cultural situation, and actually a past conversation, you heard that alluded to in this quote before, Uh, there's at least one previous letter from Paul and one previous letter from the Corinthians here. They get referenced in this letter, we know they're there, otherwise Paul's making it up. That doesn't happen. Then having, having addressed what the situation is, Paul's going to bring out a gospel principle into that situation. You'll see it universally in what he does in this letter. He'll go, well, here's what's true about Jesus. And because of that, what's true about you as well? And and combining those two elements, he's going to say, so here's how that applies to you. Okay? You with me? Are we tracking? Okay. So, for instance, in chapter 5, He's going to speak to the messy situation of an incestuous relationship within the church. Uh, A situation where uh, a person who calls themselves a brother, calls themselves a child of God, is not just sinning, but is flaunting sin, proud of it, refusing to step into repentance in this. And and he brings out, you you know, what he doesn't do there is he doesn't go, boot them, done, next issue, you know. What he does do is he brings out a gospel principle. He actually, he turns to the Old Testament and he brings out the Passover. He says, because Jesus is our better Passover lamb, who who has called us out 
as a holy people by washing away our sin and because you are like the bread of the Passover, which was to be unleavened. Pure is what the picture is there. Purify yourselves. We're not, we are to be a purified people. And so he'll apply it to that specific situation, remove that person from the church. If they're refusing to acknowledge sin, refusing to, to, to repent, and they're proud of it, they're flaunting their sin, then there's a place for saying, you may not be a part of this. You're not a part of the people of God. We want you to be, we long for you to be, we call you to repentance, but until you're in that place, you're not a part of this. And what we're going to find is that the situation isn't our situation. Sometimes it's going to have a lot in, con- in, in common with our situation. Sometimes the things being addressed will be almost universal throughout human history, right? But sometimes there will be things that are really different today. And as a result, the gospel principle that we take will often not apply to us in exactly the same way that it did in that situation. This is what's complicated about coming to 1 Corinthians. But here's the main thing. It does still apply to us. We're not diving into a letter that's irrelevant. us here. The gospel truths that Paul brings in 1 Corinthians, the truths themselves are universal. They don't change. Situations change, cultures change, but the gospel doesn't change. And so they all still apply to us, even if the application is sometimes different looking in our culture. So, for instance, we don't necessarily have anyone in our church who is flaunting incest, right? To my, to my knowledge. Raise your hand. No, I'm just joking. Uh, but, but how you approach unrepentant sin in a, in a person who claims to be a believer is a principle for the church of every age, do you see? And this is what really excites me about stepping into this book. It might sound like just, wow, this sounds unnerving, this sounds big. But, but really, this is, this is what's good about 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, God teaches us heavenly reasoning. He teaches us gospel reasoning, biblical reasoning. That means there's, there's two really great things that you can hope to get out of this series as a whole. Um, first, we're going to gain a bunch of gospel principles that are transformative for our lives. Stuff that is specific, stuff that is like the the scalpel to our lives and comes to specific areas of our lives and cuts and goes, you know what, that that thing needs to go. This is how you're going to become more like Jesus. This is how you're going to be transformed. It's a beautiful thing when God's people embrace his word and are transformed. It's going to transform us if we apply them. It's going to transform our church as we apply these things. And, and, and it's going to transform our witness within the community that we live in. And, and as, as Paul works through situation, gospel principle, application, we're going to walk away with this bunch of gospel principles which apply to us, which speak directly into our situations. You, sp- you struggle with specific sins in your life. Paul's going to speak to that. You want to know more about how singleness is meant to be? Paul's going to speak to that. You want to know more about how marriage is meant to be? Paul's going to speak to that. You want to, and like, like not, not in the general sense that we're going in Ephesians. We had marriage there. Here, he's going to deal with marriage in the mess. You want to, you want to look at being a healthier church? 
or using your spiritual gifts or understanding eternal life or understanding how we worship on a Sunday. Paul speaks to these and he speaks to more in 1 Corinthians. But beyond these individual areas, it's my hope that as we walk through this book, and please read this book as we go, engage it as you do. Strive to comprehend the riches that are in these pages for you, that God has given you, placed in your hands. But it's my hope that as we do that, we will learn more broadly how to reason biblically as a people. To, To apply truth to difficult situations, beyond the situations and beyond the specific truths that are applied in this letter. To go to the Bible, like we see Paul again and again and again and again, ten times, going to the Bible and seeing how it speaks to how I live. It's, 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 it's the prac shop of this, like it's, it's the workshop of how it works is 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians dives into the mess. It's, it's parachuting into the dumpster fire, like Greg Lanier put it, right? Um, it brings gospel truth to bear on some of the messiest situations imaginable. And so 1 Corinthians teaches us what it means to reason biblically in the mess of everyday life. It teaches us what it looks like to apply the truth to our lives. Considering the, the dumpster fire situation of the church Paul's writing to, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, now, how he closes this brief greeting of his. He does it on a, on a surprising note. Um, these last verses, verse 4 through 9, he closes with thankfulness and confidence. It's really, it's really important that we see this as we step into this letter. And we need to keep it in view or we're sunk before we even launch, right? Paul starts with thankfulness for the church in Corinth. That God has been so gracious and generous to them. That the gospel has been confirmed amongst them. That God has been so good to them. Their speech and their knowledge have been enriched and they believe the truth about Jesus. And so they have been given every gift that they need. He's thankful for their faith. He's thankful for them as a church, messy and broken as they are. And in all of their brokenness and confusion, Paul says, I thank God for you. Blimey, is that our heart towards each other? When we see the mess and the brokenness in one another? But as he does it, as he does it, does it, does it Paul reflects something of the heart of God towards us. Stepping into a messy letter like 1 Corinthians, we might be tempted to see God as kind of this angry, just wanting to crush us person. But Paul, representing God, as he writes in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says he is thankful for the church in all of its mess. Maybe you've been walking in sin. Too afraid to to bring it into the light, too afraid to admit that you're broken. The message of 1 Corinthians is that God loves you. When when he looks at you from his throne in heaven, he does not look with a furrowed brow of anger. He looks with the generous face of love. He calls you into something better. He's given you faith. He's given you spiritual gifts if you're a believer in Jesus. 
He has enriched you so that you might find joy in him and lay down the brokenness that keeps disappointing you again and again and again. He is generous, and so Paul opens with thankfulness for the church. But not just thankfulness, but thankfulness and confidence. Paul says, Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a bit disjointed because I started halfway through a sentence there. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one at work. Okay? That we need to keep in view. As we, as we come to our lives, as we seek to be transformed, he certainly calls us to engage that, to live in that, to strive to apply his word to our lives. But in the end, Jesus is the one at work. God is faithful. And on the basis of Christ's sustaining power, the power of the cross, and in God's enduring faithfulness, we can face the brokenness within us. Bring it into the light actually see it dealt with, that no one else in the entire world who is outside of Jesus has the power to do. We have that in him. As we step into the series, where if we do it right, we're going to run into our brokenness a lot and our need for change a lot. Let's keep these things in view. God loves us, his people, with all of his heart. Because we know he sent his son, we know that he loves us. He is at work in us. He has sanctified us before we ever stepped towards him. He acted first. He has a purpose to complete in us and he won't fail. So we can step forward with thankfulness. We can step forward with confidence and become who we are in Jesus. And let me, let me close on a note of invitation because maybe there's, maybe there's some of us here who, who have trusted in Jesus who hear that and just go, I, don't, I just don't think it can be me. I don't think he can do that in me. I don't think he can bring meaningful change to these things that I've been running into again and again and again and again like a, like a sheep butting against the fence. It doesn't get that there's a fence there. But God... God is faithful and he loves you. Let me invite you in this to, to stop just butting your head against the fence of trying to stop and turn to the truth about Jesus. Turn to the one who has the power to bring change. Turn to the peace and the deliverance that is ours in the gospel and, and, and find a brother or sister to do that along with, if that's you. If you're someone who hasn't trusted in Jesus, maybe you're just here today or maybe you'll be with us throughout this series, let me give this invitation. He calls you in. He does not look on you with hatred. He calls you in to trust. You stand rightly under, under the judgment of God for your sin, but he offers you grace in Jesus and that can be yours. He loves you. He gave his son for you. He can be at work in your life powerfully as well. Would, would you pray with me? Lord 
Jesus, for all those here who know you, who have trusted in you, I just thank you for the positional work that you've done in us. You've moved us from death to life. You've made us sanctified. You've made us holy. You've, you've declared us by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, his body and blood, you've declared us to be your holy children, loved by you, saved by you. We're so grateful, Lord. And you call us to be who we are now, Lord. So if I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here and for myself as we step into this Lord, that we would step into it, that we wouldn't just see this as a spectator sport that we do on a Sunday morning, but that this would be an engaging with your word where we grow to understand how the truth about Jesus changes us. And Lord, bring change. Let us be a, a cross-shaped people, a Jesus-shaped people. Let us be formed. Let us be bold. Let us step into it knowing that you are faithfully at work in us. And Lord, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you and is hearing this, that this would be the day. That they would turn to you today and say, Lord, I want to put my trust in you. I want to follow your way. I want to be one of your holy people. I want to be your beloved child in Jesus. I want to trust in you, Jesus. I believe that what you did was for me. I pray, Lord, as I know that you are good, that you would faithfully be reaching that person and drawing them into your presence with full joy. In Jesus' name, amen.